So I love our new t-shirt for our Mercy Fund in Rapids as it is in heaven. I think it communicates something I'm about. I love our Mercy Fund. I love how our church uh, is an outreach to our city, how our church loves our city. And to see the things of God be brought to our city is something I'm really passionate about and excited about. And as long as I have breath, I'll be preaching that and encouraging the Church of Jesus Christ to be engaged with the world. And so uh, it's great to wear these shirts. I do suggest you help fund our Mercy Fund and grab one. It'd be fantastic. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor about the topic I'm preaching this morning, which is polarizing politics. And he said to me, you know, you should forget the shirt and just make sure you wear a Kevlar vest. Because he said, there's no way you're getting out of there without offending somebody. And that's probably true. But just a few words about offenses that, you know, it's not a bad thing to be offended. Uh, I think when you're offended, it allows you time to take that offense and think it through and bring it before God and ask God, is this something that I need to bend on or is this something that I hold as a stronger conviction? And so offense isn't a bad thing. Uh, Jesus offended many, many people, as we're going to see in one of our texts, the text we're going to look at this morning. He was very offensive. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offensive thing. You are a sinner and you need a savior to get to heaven. That's an offensive message. And so I think the last thing the church should do is back off of offensive things. I think that would be a big mistake. And so we're going to lean into that as a church as we talk about polarizing politics. So why are we talking about something like this? Well, I'm excited that we're beginning a new series called Justice for All. And in this series, we're going to be looking at issues that break God's heart in our world. Issues that break God's heart in our world. The issues that are very clear in Scripture that break his heart. But what I'm also going to do in this message, my heart's desire and aim, is not just that it's informational, but that it's motivational in terms of, I want you as a church to engage in these issues that break God's heart. It's not enough just to say, this breaks God's heart, and it's an issue that's really tough. But anytime there's an issue that breaks God's heart, God longs for his church to be an agent of grace and power and mercy in his life in that situation, in that area. That's what he calls us to be during this time on earth as we wait for his second return, is to be on mission in these issues. And so as we go through this series, these are issues that he's calling us as a church to get involved in and to be part of. And so I'm excited about that and diving into this. This is obviously this topic, polarizing politics, is a justice issue in my mind. Why is it a justice issue? I'm not against political discourse and political debate that's civil and that opens our minds to ideas. I'm all for that. That's not what I'm talking about here. I think if I took a poll of all of you in this room, you would all agree with me that is not where we are in our country today. It's moved and shifted to this polarization that breeds hatred, that teaches generations coming up that you can't disagree unless you hate and tear apart the person who disagrees with you. It teaches them that opinions that people have are more important and more valuable than the people themselves. And this breaks the heart of God. And so I think as we dive into this series, it's important for us to look at this topic and take it head on because it's what we hear about and what we're dealing with each day that we live. 
Also, it kind of clashes with our worlds, right? If one of the things I love about our church here across you is that we have Democrats and we have Republicans. And as long as uh, I'm here, my prayer is it's always like that. And I'm going to explain why as we get into this. But it creates this awkwardness at times as the, our culture and climate of politics gets hotter and hotter. You come in here and you don't know what you can say and what you can't say. You don't know who's on what team and what side, and that should not be the case in the Church of Jesus Christ. And so we need to talk about this. Finally, it's important we talk about this because this is the climate we live in today. We hear constantly about impeachment inquiries and, and both sides just coming at each other. And I'm just being totally honest with you, I think 2020 is going to be one of the roughest times we're going to experience in terms of politics. And we as the church have to be prepared and we have to be ready. And so I think it would be negligent for us to not talk about this. A great theologian named Karl Barth said the church should read their Bible every day and read their newspaper every day. And what he meant by that, he wasn't talking literally, but what he meant is you should have theology and mission. You should know about Jesus and be on action, carrying out his kingdom in the world, knowing what's going on in the world. And that's the way that I want us to be here at Crossview Church. And so we're going to dive into this series. I'm looking forward to it. What are the things that break God's heart? And what are the things that he would want us to engage in? God wants us as his people to be agents of healing. God wants us to be agents of love. Our mission at this church is to love God, love others, and serve the world. And the political climate we find ourselves in now is a perfect platform for us to live out our mission and give glory to God in the process and to love other people. Someone in the first service said, man, I can't believe you studied all that for this message. As you're going to get into it, you can see possibly why they said that, but I just want to disclaim something. Um, I did do all the biblical study uh, on the biblical text we look at, but I'm thankful for a collective of pastors that gets together and we talk about these issues quite a bit, and I gleaned a lot of knowledge from that group of pastors, and some of the illustrations and applications that I'm using comes from that group, and so I uh, am leaning on the shoulders of others, as we, and this is a message that you can almost receive as a group of evangelical free church pastors to you, Crossview Church. So uh, I'm looking forward to diving in. Anytime you dive in to a topic that's polarizing or potentially conflicting, it's always, always, always a good practice to find common ground. We need to first start with finding common ground. What are the things that we agree on? And so as I launch into this uh, topic about polarizing politics in the United States, I want to talk about what are the things first that we agree on as followers of Jesus Christ. And the first one that we agree on as followers of Jesus Christ is this, that we are to love our enemies and our neighbor. We are to love our enemies and our neighbor. We can't get around this one. That's just something that has to be the bedrock foundation of any engagement in any area that we move in as a church, that we are called by Jesus' words to love our enemies and our neighbor. And the text that I want to look at this morning that lays this foundation out is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles there if you have a Bible. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, uh, Matthew's the first book of the second part of the Bible, which is called the New Testament. It's about three quarters of the way through it. If you uh, turn and you get to Mark, Luke, John, you went too far 
far to the right, back up to Matthew, and uh, go to the big number five, and I'll be talking on the little numbers 43 to 48, and I'll be on page 859 if you're using a Bible that we have here in the worship center, 859. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Let's look at that. This is what Jesus' words, this is what Jesus is saying. These are his words. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now this is God's heart coming up for those who are for God and those who are against God. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So after going through this description of how to love, Jesus ends with a summary statement in verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And many people have wondered, what does he mean there? Is he talking about moral behavior, so I'm supposed to act perfect? Is that what he's saying? Is that what he means by being made perfect? Well, I don't think so. We've got to look at the context of what we're seeing here and look at what the Bible is actually saying. Uh, This comment in verse 48 by Jesus is a summary comment of everything in 43 to 47, talking about love. When the Bible is unclear, we look at other places of Scripture, And then we dive into what the Bible says. And we also look at church history. How did the church of the ages interpret this verse? And so I want to do all that quickly here. First of all, church history. Martin Luther said of verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. That Jesus is talking about an entire, whole, undivided love towards people, those you agree with and those you disagree with. John Calvin said Jesus is talking about a generous love and a goodness to all, regardless of whether you, they love you or you are enemies. So let's dig deeper into what the Bible says to see this verse centers around the word perfect, and the Greek word there is teleos for perfect. It means complete or mature or fully developed. Scholars believe that when Jesus was talking here in this moment, he was probably speaking Aramaic, not Greek, and he probably used the word in Aramaic, salim, which means whole or unblemished. It's a love that is encompassing. It's a love that doesn't leave anything out. And as we continue and look at this verse, I love the connecting word, as. Jesus says, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So therefore, he's not telling us to live moral perfection. If so, that would go against reality and gospel truth. We'll never be able to be morally perfect like God is in this fallen state that we are as human beings. So he's got to be talking about something else. He's talking about being perfect in how we distribute our love to one another. And we know that, too, by looking at Luke's account of this passage. In Luke chapter 6, verses 36, Luke says this, Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. 
When we look at the scholars and we look at the history and we look at scripture and we look at scripture as a whole and the other places, we see the understanding of verse 48 coming out and grabbing us by the collar as a summary statement of 43 to 47, the perfect of God in this text is his love for all. Being focused on loving and being merciful to one's enemies as well as one's neighbors. In fact, the, gen- the push of this text from Jesus' words is he's saying you should take an enemy and love them to the place where they become your neighbor. It's a love that crosses over hatred and disagreement. It's a love that is unlike anything we see in this world because it's from God. Because of God's love for all human beings, Jesus is urging his followers to be perfect in love. How they extend love. To love completely. To love wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Jesus urged his disciples to love all because God loves all. Look at verse 45. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. A summary of this verse, verse 48, is from, uh, written here by the New Testament scholar Scott McKnight. He says, a summary of verse 48 is this. Be perfect. That is, love both your fellow Jewish neighbors and the Roman enemies in your midst as your Father makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on all humans, Jews and Romans. So you are to be perfect in love as your Father is perfect in love. Those you agree with and those you disagree with. Those that you like and those that you don't like so much. Those that you hang with and those that you repel against. Love all human beings as your neighbor. That's what Jesus is saying here. And there's only one way to apply this scripture to our lives, and that is when we begin to acknowledge and confess who our enemies are that we hold as enemies, and then we begin to love them into the neighboring of our heart. We begin to love them as our neighbors. You identify your enemy. You love them as your neighbors. That's the ethic that Jesus is presenting in this text. Now, taking this to our politically charged environment that you and I live in today, this means if you're a conservative Republican, your enemy, the world will tell you, is a liberal Democrat. And what Jesus is saying is you are to love that liberal Democrat in such a way that they become your neighbor. And if you are a liberal Democrat, our politically charged environment would say your enemy is the conservative Republican. And what Jesus would say is that you are to love that conservative Republican in a way that brings them into your life and heart as your neighbor. That's stunning. Jesus is going for the throat on this one in that context as well as this context. This must take precedent over any political party. If you are a Christian, your love for enemy must triumph over any disagreement or hatred you have. This is saying that you are to love those that drive you crazy. That's what this is saying. Now, there's a misunderstanding in our culture that we need to address. The misunderstanding is this. It's that... If you love someone, then you must agree with everything they agree with. 
If you love someone, then you must agree. And that is such a false principle. That is not biblical. Agreement and love are not the same thing. If that was the case, then this power of loving your enemy is weak. It takes the power out of love, if that's true. That can't be true. Agreement and love are not the same thing. You can love somebody and not agree with everything they say. Parents know this, right? You love your kids to death. You may not agree with everything they do and how they behave, but you love them to death. And kids, you know this about your parents. You love your parents to death, but you may not agree. Man, I'm going to step on toes and get hit. I know, here it comes. You, may not, you have to obey, but you may not agree. Agreement and love are not the same thing. And if you say you have to agree in order to love, that takes the power out of love, and that's not what Jesus is saying here at all. He's saying love those that you don't agree with, acknowledging that there's disagreement. But he's saying, love those that you don't agree with. So if agreement and love are not the same thing, that also means that disagreement and hate are not the same thing. And we are living in a culture now that says, if you disagree with me and I disagree with you, then we have to hate each other. It cuts beyond human dignity, beyond the fact that we are children created in God's image. The opinion now triumphs the value of a human being. And that's a scary place to be in. And that's what breaks the heart of God. I'm not against good, healthy, political debate and discourse. But when we move into this spot where we can't even disagree without there also being hatred, God's heart grieves over his people. And he never intended that to be the case. Because every single human being is created in the image of God. And they all have value. And value and they're all precious to God. And he calls us to love. So in this thing called polarizing politics, this is where we have to start. We have to agree that we are to love our enemies and love our neighbors. The second thing we agree on is that we are all sinful people. None of us are perfect. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What this is saying, literally, is that every single human being has fallen short and missed the mark of God's standard of holiness and perfection. That's what this is saying. Every single human being has missed the mark. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Everyone has fallen. There's no one that is perfect. You have never met a conservative Republican that did not miss the mark. You have never met a liberal Democrat that has not missed the mark. See, the problem is not politics. The problem is sin. That is what is tearing the world in this this world, this polarized culture apart. It's not politics. It's sin. And we are all sinners. We should agree on that. The next thing we should agree on, and you may cast your vote otherwise, but I'm going to try to convince you nonetheless, is that we don't know how Jesus would vote. We don't know how Jesus would vote, and you're saying, yes, I do. He'd vote just like me. That's how Jesus would vote, but that's not true. We don't know how Jesus would vote. There's a New Test- or a, um, a biblical theologian from Dallas Theological Seminary named Daryl Bach who wrote a book called How Would Jesus Vote? And spoiler alert, you don't have to buy the book, I'll tell you. At the end of it, he says, we don't know. 
We don't know how he would vote. We don't know if he would vote. And I'm going to explain why as we go on. But one of the principles that Bach uncovered in his book is he says, as evangelical Christians, we tend to cherry-pick issues in Scripture. Some rightly so, because there's issues that we have to defend and we have to talk about. But the problem is, there are issues in the Bible where all of them break the heart of God. There are issues that the Bible addresses that we see in our world, and every single one of these issues breaks the heart of God, but we tend to pick certain ones and leave the others. And he encourages us as Christians to be whole Bible people, to be people that talk about all the issues in Scripture. And if a political party comes along and says, don't talk about that one, talk about this one, we as God's people have to say, no, we are going to talk about all of these issues that break God's heart. So how does that look like? What does that feel like? Well, again, when we're stuck, we look to the Scripture and we look to history. How is this issue handled in the church in the past? And I thought, wouldn't it be great if someone wrote a book on how did the very first church, when it originated after Jesus ascended to heaven, Holy Spirit came in Pentecost, the church was born. How did that church deal with the political issues? What were the issues of the day that the early church held dear and firm? What were the things that they said, these are the non-negotiables that we have to engage our world in? Wouldn't it be great if someone wrote a book about that? Well, guess what? Somebody did. And his name is Larry Hurtado, and his book is called Early Christian Artifacts. And if he says, if you had to boil it down, this is what the early church commitments to engaging the world fell in these five categories. These were the things that they were convicted about, they were passionate about, they weren't going to give any inch on it. They were going to hang in these. First of all, number one, multi-ethnicity and equality between races. This was huge. In the early church, you had Jew and Gentile, and how do we bring that together in love? How's that going to look like? Strong concern for the poor. This was huge in their culture. Forgiveness and non-retaliation. Prohibition of abortion and infanticide. That was a huge issue back then. Prohibition against sex outside of marriage of a man and a woman. As we looked and we researched the early church, these were the issues that came to the forefront. Pastor Chris Dolson of Blackhawk Church says, if you look at this list, it's pretty interesting to point out that the first two look like a Democrat and the bottom two look like a Republican and neither party looks like the middle one right now, right? Neither party is holding forgiveness and non-retaliation. These are the issues that the church has stood on in history They're not party issues. They're issues that Scripture speaks to across the board. And if we're going to be God's people, we need to speak to all the issues that are on God's heart. And when that doesn't fit in the political party, God wins and his word wins. And we have to be in agreement about that. Number four, the fourth thing we have to be in agreement about is God calls us to help our city flourish. God calls us to help our city flourish, and you can add state or nation or world, but we are to take on the injustices that we encounter and move towards wholeness. Move to, are we going to wipe it out totally? Maybe not in our lifetime, but we're going to die trying. We're going to move towards wholeness. Look at this verse in Jeremiah. It says, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. And when you hear the story behind this verse, it makes your jaw drop. 
Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. Let me tell you what's going on in this verse. So the people of Israel lived in Jerusalem, and the Babylonian army just came and invaded and tore apart and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And those who were alive, the Jewish people who were alive, were gathered by the Babylonian army, taken captive, and brought to the Babylonian capital city. And then God comes to his prophet Jeremiah and tells them to pursue the well-being of the city I deported you to. That wicked city, those people that just destroyed your home, destroyed the people you know. Now you are not to kick against them and fight against them. You are now to flourish in that wicked city. You are supposed to help that city of these people who just invaded you to prosper. That's what God's saying to the people of Israel here. He's saying, pursue the well-being. Help that wicked city to thrive. This is your calling. Many of you here are gifted and called, and God has you in strategic places of employment, in education, in trades, in health, in politics, in business, in law enforcement. He has given you a calling to engage the city, and he wants you to do that. And I just want to say, to engage the city politically is something God wants us to do. There's some people here who you are called to move into the world of politics. And I would say, if God's calling you to do that, do that with all your heart, seeking the flourishing of the city and seeking the things as a Christian believer you know are on God's heart regardless of what the party is. So those are the things we should all agree on as Christians. Now I want to answer the question I get asked a lot when I'm not so much in the church, but when I'm outside the church. Is Crossview Church Democrat or Republican? Is Crossview Church Democrat or Republican? Pastor Dan, how am I supposed to vote? Should I vote Democrat or should I vote Republican? Is Crossview Church Democrat or Republican? The answer is neither. And you're saying, well, of course, because legally with our 501c3 tax status, we can't endorse a candidate or a position. But there's a much, much bigger reason than that. And before I dive into it, I want to say this. I love the fact, no, I celebrate the fact that this is a place where Republican and Democrat can come in here together and worship God. I celebrate the fact, I love the fact that this is a place where Republicans and Democrats can come in here together and encounter God, and not just encounter God, but can encounter God and love one another. This is happening nowhere else, I think, in our nation. And if we give that up, if that ever changes, God help us. Because right now, I think the true church of Jesus Christ where that happens is the only place that's happening in our culture. And if the polarization of our country has any hope of being healed, it has to start there. And God forbid if we turn this into a partisan place where all of a sudden you're out and you're in. And I will fight tooth and nail to make sure that doesn't happen. And I hope you would join me that. So... I love the fact that we have that here. And I want to say this, that I wouldn't say Crossview Church is not political because we are political because we serve the king of all kings and we're about his kingdom. And that's the definition of being political. We're just not about an earthly kingdom. We're about a heavenly kingdom. And the kingdom of God coming to our city, we're all about that. So in that way, we are, poli we are political. 
But what we are not is we're not partisan. And I want to explain why. Why Crossview Church is not partisan. Number one, our first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. First and foremost allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Above anything else in this earth, we seek that. We seek to honor Jesus Christ. And when we engage our world and we hear about the things going on, the polarizing politics and the climate that we live in, it should make us as Christians homesick. And what I mean by that is it should make us long for the heavenly home that we're going to experience. You see, as Christians, this is not our home. We're just temporarily here. Our home is in heaven with our king and his kingdom that's going to come to earth one day and rule and reign and end all this stuff once and for all. But we need to remember as Christian believers, our home and our heart is in that kingdom, not this kingdom. And in that kingdom, Jesus Christ is above all things. And our heart allegiance goes to that. So when you hear about the polarizing politics, it should cause you to be homesick. When we come in here and worship, it should cause us to be homesick, longing for heaven. And we are first and foremost Jesus' people carrying out his kingdom. That's why we are not partisan. Number two, we're trying to reach everyone. We are trying to reach everyone with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says if you are a Christian, then your mission is to go and make disciples everywhere you go. Jesus says your mission is to take his love and his kingdom to the places he's called you. That is what we are about. We are trying to reach everyone with the gospel. Now I'm going to share something that some of you are going to totally disagree with me and that's okay. Because we learned that you can disagree and still love, right? You may totally disagree with me on this, and that's totally fine. But I'm going to explain something to you, and I'm going to explain why I think this. As a Christian, not as a pastor, because you're going to say, well, that's because you're a pastor. No, as a Christian, I do not share and publicly tell anybody how I vote or what party I think I should belong to. I don't share what party I vote on. I don't share what party I lean towards. I don't have any bumper stickers on my car. I don't post and like pages of different political parties. I don't do that at all. I stay so far away from that as a Christian. And my personal bias is every Christian should do the same. And here's why. Because as a Christian, you are part of a different kingdom not this earthly kingdom. And in that kingdom that you are part of, you have an agenda to bring the love and the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ to as many people you interact with in the world. And in our hot, politically polarized environment, if the landscape was different, it would be different. But things have changed. And in this hot, politically charged environment, the moment as a Christian you say, I'm for this party, you have just wrecked your influence with half the people that are not in that party. They won't even look at what you have to say. They won't even take a moment to understand because in our politically charged environment, if you say I'm A, that means you hate B. And if you hate B, I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say, even if it's about Jesus Christ. Why on earth would you risk your influence in carrying the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who desperately need it, who are on their way to hell without it, over an earthly political party? 
It's totally not worth it. As Christians, in this politically charged environment, we have to be wise about how we act because there's a greater cause that we are going to be held accountable for. And that is, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And what did you do to help people get to know him? And I tell you what, when it comes to helping as many people as I can get to know the love and the power and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ or be put into a circle in a political party, Jesus and gospel wins every single time. And I will do all I can to make sure I never, ever compromise his kingdom and his call. And I personally, again, you could totally disagree with me, but I personally think every Christian should do the same. That that should come first. And I think it's that heart that's going to turn around the polarization in our country. Number three, every political party is made up of sinful people. This is why we're not partisan here. Every political party is made up of sinful people. It's been said before, the reasons we have the problems in the U.S. is not because of Democrats. It's not because of Republicans. It's because of sin. That is the problem that we have. If we were partisan as a church, the non-Christian people would be confused. They would think that there's one party that's less sinful than the others and That's just not the case. The gospel tells us every human being has fallen short of God's glory. So we stay away from these things that confuse the gospel. Tim Keller said this, Political parties will offer Christian churches, organizations, and leaders heady access to power, support, favors, and protections. Beware. They say to you, all this can be yours if you support our whole political agenda, and just look away on the other matters that Christians should never look away from. Their spiritual danger here for the church is very, very great. That's why we're not partisan at Crossview Church. So what do we do? That's the information. This hatred is what breaks God's heart. But how do we engage? What do we do as God's church? How do we enter the injustice of polarization and bring love. Before I dive into the reasons, let me just say this is a blanket statement. For the sake of love and for the sake of Christ, don't fuel the polarization. Watch what you post. Watch what you say. For the sake of love and for the sake of Christ, don't fuel it. And couldn't it be cool if we loved each other in such a way at Crossview Church and we knew we had each other's backs beyond what we agree and disagree, that we could even say, hey, you know what? Sounds like you're fueling the polarization. Don't fuel it, man. Don't fuel it. You know, what if we could hold each other accountable like that, causing us to look and push ourselves to the greater good? Don't fuel the polarization. Again, I'm not saying that we're not to engage in political things. I'm not saying that at all. But in this climate, we find ourselves, it's a different ballgame. You see, it used to be if you had a road going down, let's picture a road, all right? One side Republican, one side Democrat. You had a wagon, and the wagon would kind of go like this, but it would keep moving forward. It would kind of sway as the country went and keep moving forward. Sometimes it would pull Republican, sometimes pull Democrat. Right now what we have, the wagon is smack dab in the middle, and the forces are pulling so hard, the wagon is cracking in half because everyone is so fueled by passion of opinion over people 
that is destroying that. We're in a different environment. We have to be aware of that. There is a place for good political engagement and debate, but that's not where we're living today. And so in light of where we're living today, here's how I think we engage this polarization. First of all, number one, show respect. Show respect in what you say, in what you post, in what you tweet, in what you talk about. Show respect to the other side. Show respect to those who disagree with you. Show respect to, the, for, to those that you disagree with. Someone once said, respect is like air. If you take away air from a person, they're not going to think about anything else except getting that air. What can I do to get that air? I gotta get, that's all they're going to think about. When you disrespect somebody, they're not going to listen to a thing you have to say. They don't care because they want that respect. When you respect somebody, you have an open door for disagreement. So in this climate, we need to show respect. It doesn't matter your logic, your point of view. It will fall on deaf ears and create a rift if you show disrespect. Jesus wouldn't want us to respect all people regardless of their belief. Number two, be humble. Jesus showed more humility than any other person that's ever walked the earth. Here's two practical ways you can remain humble. You Adopt these phrases, let them come out of your mouth, and it will breed humility. When people are talking about a topic, you say and address it like this. You know, I've been wrong before because we all have. You say, I've been wrong before, and I could be wrong about this, but this is what I believe. See, that holds a level of humility that opens up discourse and number two, when someone disagrees with you, say, you say, help me understand what you're saying. Help me to understand what you're saying. If you cannot say those things, if you cannot say, I've been wrong before and I could be wrong about this, then I'm just going to be level honest with you as a pastor and a friend. You have an issue with arrogance and pride and you need to repent and go before God. If you can't say, I've been wrong before and I could be wrong in this again, that's an issue of your heart that God wants to touch and deal with. And it's okay, we've all been there, but go before him and experience his grace and forgiveness and power. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to own our human frailty and be honest about it. Number three, we love others by listening. We love others by listening. This is a great tool. When someone is charged Someone's angry, they're really upset, and they're coming at you, and they're spewing, and they're getting angry. This is one of the things that we learn as a pastor. When someone feels offended by something you say, and they're really angry, this is an awesome tool to have in your tool belt. You say, help me understand why you feel that way. Help me understand why you feel that way. If there's this anger and this charge, that just didn't come for no reason. There's a story behind that. Help me understand why you feel that. What happened that you are so hot about this issue what took place in your life and then when you do that now you start to get to a level of understanding that calms things down and when you do that when you say help me understand how, why you feel that way then just let them talk don't grab a thing they say two seconds later say oh i'm going to use that now throw your response don't hijack the conversation back to your intention. When you ask somebody, help me understand why you feel that way, then just shut your mouth and let them talk and really, really, really listen. 
Don't listen to, I'm going to grab what they have to say so I can form my response and then throw it right. That's not listening. Just listen and hear them out. If we had a group of people that would listen and become A number one listeners, it would love the world in a way like it's never been loved before, especially in this day and age, in this hot political climate. To listen is absolutely huge. And when you listen, you value people. One of the greatest ways you can love and get rid of the injustices in this issue is to truly listen. Proverbs 18, 13 said, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and disgrace. Number four, follow your heart above your party. Follow your heart above your party. If you are a Christian, you are Christian first and foremost. Issues that God cares about are in both parties. Issues that the Bible is clear on is in both parties. So since political parties are fallible and they will make mistakes, you need to follow your heart as a Christian. Do not follow a party line. Listen to me on this. Listen, 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 listen. Listen to me on this. According to what is written here in the Bible, according to what is written here, this is what I know to be true. If you align yourself with a political party, your party does not get it right all the time. This is the truth. If you align yourself with a political party, I guarantee you, your party is not right about everything. I guarantee you that. This tells me that. So show humility. And if you enter a party, enter a party, but don't do it in a way where that becomes gospel. Let the gospel be gospel. Don't let your party line be gospel. Lead with the gospel. Be a Christian in that party with your allegiance going first and foremost here. That's how God would want you to carry this out in a way that honors him. If every practicing Christian lived like that, it would be a huge blow to the polarization that we see in our nation. And finally, one more and I'm done. Choose your words wisely. Choose your words wisely. Sticks and stones may break my bones and names will never hurt me. There's never been a greater lie ever said. Words hurt deeply. Words destroy. Words crush. Words can cause pain that can leave scars for years. Choose your words wisely. They do great, great damage if unchecked. Proverbs, there's four Proverbs I want to share with you. 11 verse 9 says, with his mouth the ungodly destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge and righteous, through knowledge the righteous are rescued. Chapter 11 verse 12, whoever shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense, but a person with understanding keeps silent. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 28. The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. If we're going to make a difference in this world, 
If we're going to make an impact in this world for Jesus Christ, it starts right here. It starts with these foundations. Don't ever try to make an impact in the world if you're going to tear apart another human being over an issue. It has to start here. And how we engage this politically charged climate starts here. We must, if we've gone these ways, we must confess about the things that we posted that were desperately, that were done to try to tear someone apart. We must confess the conversations we've had. We must confess fueling this polarization. And we must confess our pride and arrogance and say, God, I so want to honor you above all this stuff. Please forgive me for the places that I haven't done that well. And he will be faithful to forgive you and make you an agent of his love in a desperate climate that so desperately needs it. So I want to give us some time to just go before the Lord and ask him if there's anything in us, God, that offends you in how we've acted and allow him to bring things to mind. If he brings things to mind, just confess those right there. Say, God, forgive me for that. I repent of that. I think it's important for us to do that collectively as a church right now. So I'm just going to give you silence and you take this moment between you and God and ask him to search your heart. We're not going to ask about what's been said. We're not going to share. We're just going to give you a moment, you and God, and just go before him now in this silence. God, we love you. And we long to be your people in the place that you've called us and the place you've placed us. And God, you have sought in your sovereignty to have us live in this exact day and age, in this age where the political divide in our country is fueled by hate, not wisdom. God, would you forgive us corporately for the ways that we fueled that polarization? Would you forgive us for the ways that we've let passion about views step beyond the love that we're supposed to have for our enemies and our neighbors? God, will you help us and give us grace to change that? Empower us to be your people in this day and age. I thank you that you are a gracious God and that we receive your forgiveness. We receive your fresh start. We receive your grace. And now, God, I ask that you would empower us as your people to engage your world and engage the world that we have, that we would be instruments of a greater kingdom, that we would be carriers of your presence, carriers of your power, carriers of your love, and we would sow it in a field that is just so dry and desperate for it. God, I pray that you would intensify the effectiveness of your church. I pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit 
to speak into these things with wisdom and truth and love and that we would hold people created in your image with the dignity and value that that creation fully gets. And so God, I ask you, it's gonna take wisdom. We can't do this on our own. We are too far broken. And so we ask for your help. Will you come and help us? Will you empower us to do this impossible task in this day and age? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.